Hello, and welcome back to the podcast, All the War They Want. I am joined here by Jeff Engel and Elizabeth Goodwin. I will let you guys introduce yourselves. Jeffrey, you can go first. So I'm Jeff Engel, uh, CEO of First Quadrant Services and the chairman and president of Conquest Cyber. Elizabeth Goodwin, director of project management for CBRE in Nashville. And I'm Carmen Brooks, your host for today. Welcome, guys. Thank you for joining me here. Um, Elizabeth, so can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you do for a living? Sure. So my background, I grew up in Middle Tennessee. My dad was a contractor, so it was in the world of construction. And he wanted me to be anything but a contractor. And, of course, I went to school for everything involving the built environment because I loved it so much. So architecture, design, civil engineering, construction management, undergrad at UT and my master's uh, at Vanderbilt here in Nashville, and then worked in construction for about 10 years and switched over three years to project management at CBRE. And I lead a team of over 20 people, almost 30 people now. We're growing. Nashville is a hot market right now. That it is. <laughs> and I work with brokers and developers uh, thinking about projects and what's new for Nashville. And it's really exciting, um, really exciting time. And uh, it's all about the vertical expansions of Nashville. I was going to say, so you've been here for a while, right? Yeah. So my whole life and then besides living in Knoxville. Yes, I travel a lot. You've seen the change grow in yes. Nashville, right? Can yes. you speak to that a little bit? Sure, yeah. So I can remember with my dad being in construction, going to the edge of Cool Springs Boulevard, which now Jeff knows because he's moved here. And my dad stopped and he said, we're going to get out of the car. So we got out of the car and we looked out over a cliff and he said, all of this was just sold. It was all farmland. He said, in five years, it's going to be a mall. It's going to be all developed and it's never going to look the same. And that was a, like a memory. I need to look at when it, that actually was, but when I was a kid. And so that was kind of my first moment of, oh, it's never going to look the same. Right. And then my first job when I was an undergrad was the Music City Center, which is a huge 365,000 square foot Music City Center. So it's a, a convention center and parking garage and all the things and in um, a bad part or was a bad part of Nashville. And now it's all grown up around it. And I remember the same thing. The mayor was like, this is going to change Nashville. This one building is going to change Nashville. And then the Omni came. Now we have the W, the additions coming all around it, all the office buildings. So you've kind of seen it from kind of a sleepier town and where people don't didn't hang out downtown. So now everybody's working downtown, living downtown, hanging out downtown. Do you, ever, do you ever ask your dad why he d didn't want you to go into the, the same oh, industry? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's really what, you know, the focus is of today's episode, knowing yourself. Like yeah. you, you knew that, I'm not going to assume it was the men that made you want to come into it. <laughs> Definitely not. But the um, the industry, the fact that you're around it, and the fact that the conventional wisdom was don't do it, right, mm -hmm. from, you know, from somebody as significant as your father. You know, what is it about about you that you learned that ultimately led you to where you're at today? Well, I used to draw all the time. So designs, buildings, it was really the 3D environment. I understood it more so than most people. My dad had drawings out on our dining room table all the time, ta doing takeoffs and bids and things like that. And my dad and I have a great relationship. So it wasn't that I was defying him. It was like I almost wanted to be more like him. So that's why I was always interested in it. And then I just loved it and I was good at it. So I went to, you know, undergrad and was was great at it. And then when I got out, I realized it was the construction side that was the fun part. 
like doing the drawings is great, but you do it for a two-year project and then it's over and then you do another set of drawings. Whereas the construction, you get to watch it happen. And even from the, you know, fire in the hole, (laughs) you explode the parking lot and then it becomes the Graduate Hotel in downtown Nashville. That's so cool. You get to watch it happen. And so it was it wasn't like a defiance thing. It was more like this is what I wanted to do, so this is what I'm gonna do. And it's not that I didn't care what my dad thought, but Yeah, it's 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 an industry where the tangible connection between an idea and reality is something that happens pretty rapidly. Right. Yeah, that's something that I've loved about building businesses and you know, in, in my background, you know, in special operations, taking down, you know, terrorist networks, there there is a connectivity between the idea of what you want to do and the ability to execute it and then to see the result of that. that mm-hmm. A lot of people I don't think ever experience, you know, in many industries. Um, it, for me, that's that's a hugely impactful thing. But and I, you know, even see it kind of like raising kids, you know, the first time you see your kid throw a spiral, right. you know, like that you know, I made that. That is, you know, an extension of me. Do you have that same feeling about the you know, the projects that you take on and yes. what you see come to fruition? Yes, absolutely. It's, it is almost, it's not a baby. Now I have kids, so I, I actually know what it is like to have Well, a, I'm, I'm a dad. <laughs> it's dads and mom, very different relationship with the kids. I'm like, yeah, yeah it could be a house or, you know, it's a next Tom Brady, you know, either way. But I do have that attachment to certain projects for sure, especially the ground up projects where I'm really involved with the client too, and the client um, relies on me, and I've I've helped them find the land, and then we're thinking about who's going to be there and and what that tenant's going to want, and having some buy in, you know, even if it's just I think you guys should put music in the lobby, and they weren't going to do it, and then I get to go to the grand opening. There's music in the lobby, and I get this feeling, you know, I had something to do with that. Which yeah, really cool. which little background for everybody listening. This is actually how Jeff and I met Elizabeth. Was <laughs> she was working on the office that we just built, um, Conquest New Office here in Nashville. So that's the that's connection there and the parallel to that. So um, one point in Jeff's book, I don't know if you've have you read Jeff's yet. book yet. You haven't yet. Okay. So in his book, he talks about at some point everybody gets beat. Right? Has there been a time in your life where you've just been completely beat? Beat down. Yep. So I don't have a specific story, but I will say that I can share. <laughs> I don't have a specific story I can share. But there are certain moments where I've thought, why in the world are they putting me in charge of this? So, for instance, I'm 34, and I'm the youngest or the second youngest person on my team of oh, wow. almost 30 people. And... One of the only females. We're changing that, but one of the only females. And I've had moments where I've gone toe-to-toe with people, and it's been really hard. And I've spent weeks working on something, and then it doesn't go the way that I want it to go. And I've had those moments where I've thought, why in the world did they put me in charge of this? Why did a, why did a man put me in charge of this? And I have to sit back and think there's a reason that I'm here, and I can do it. And they wouldn't have put me in charge of it if they didn't think that I could do it. And I'm, I'm in this room. I've had moments where I'm like, why am I in this room? Why am I in this room with all these successful men? And I have to tell myself, I would not be in this room if they didn't think that I should be in this room. So it's not really a story, but no, it's, it's just yeah. moments. So is I mean, that what keeps you yeah, fighting every day? A little bit. I mean, I'm fighting for other people, but I also love it. 
And I don't mind going toe-to-toe with people and being who I am and being like, yes, I'm the only woman in here. And let me show you why it's important for me to be in here. And the other thing about it is that I love that people listen to me because I'm the only woman in the room. So if I'm in a room, let's say there's 20 people and they're all dudes and you know, some of them are on their cell phones. They're not listening. But if I talk, they're going to listen. And I just have to be careful about what I say and when I say it so that it's not like I'm not trying too hard, which I think a lot of guys, they don't have to worry about that. But I do because I want to be invited back and I want other women to have a seat at the table, too. Yeah. So it's it's really not a story. It's the story. Right? Right. It's the experience of, you know, yourself and uh, and other women who are in this position where it's kind of... And it's not kind of, it is, you know, common understanding that a lot of industries, they're male dominated mm-hmm. and, you know, ultimately they suffer from it. You know, mm-hmm. one of our, one of my perspectives is that, you know, I want our organization, our company to look like the, the country that we serve because if it doesn't, then the diversity of perspective that has made us, you know, the, the great, you know, kind of beacon of hope and freedom that we are. Yeah, will be diminished in our everyday operation. Right. But it without examples, right? Nobody knows what to do. It's almost like, yeah, you you saw your father as an example. You you didn't take what he said. You watched what he did. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I I believe that down to my bones that it doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you do because that's what people see and that's what they'll follow. So the role that you play in in taking ownership of that and going into those rooms and being confident in it and also having those moments where you you fail, mm-hmm. right? You or you make a call and it doesn't work out. They need to see that too because they're going to have those moments and they don't they don't need a, you know, an example of perfection, right? Right. right. They need an example of, of a human that is able to do it that has those moments. Absolutely. So it's a it's a balance on yeah, you know, how much vulnerability you share, um, but always, whether you realize it or not, people are watching you, mm-hmm. and that's that's probably the toughest part of my job, right? Right. Um, and but I I am kind of the I'm the middle aged white male in my job, like every like everybody else. So it's different when you have a company versus you have fifty plus percent of society, you know, looking at you for for that example. Right. So I assume you'd also have to approach situations in a really unconventional way too, right? You can't just go by the book because the book mm-hmm. hasn't been written in, mm-hmm. in a lot of these aspects. Um, can you speak to a time on that where you've done something completely sure. unconventional and it actually worked out yeah. for the best? Y'all want a good story? Yes. So this happened two story. or three weeks ago. I had a client who is not local to Nashville and the project was supposed to be due on a Friday <clears throat> and he wanted it done on Wednesday and it didn't get done until Friday. And so Thursday, he chewed out in in an uncomfortable situation, the project manager who reports to me and the project man- manager for the contractor. And he had been somewhat on the on the line all throughout the project. Not not very nice sending snarky emails and chewed him out, cussing all the things. And then it was a Friday, and so that night he said, we're going to have a meeting every night over the weekend because I want to inconvenience you as much as you've inconvenienced me. So, of course, I get on the call on the Friday, 
which he was not expecting. And then he canceled the rest of the meetings that weekend. And then Monday, he's still being inappropriate to the employee that reports to me. And I said, I told her Friday, I told her over the weekend, I told her Monday, you let me know when you're ready for me to take you off the project, which is almost finished, but like, I'll wrap it up because this is not good for you. This is not a good working environment. So Monday, after a text message that he sent, she comes to me, she said, I want you to take me off the project. I said, done. I canceled all my afternoon meetings. I called my boss. I said, I need you to tell me you're not going to fire me. I won't cuss the guy out. I'll be totally respectful. I need you to not fire me. He said, you cuss him out. Go. I mean, then my, my <laughs> boss was, of course, like, you let him have it. Do whatever you need to do. We're not going to fire you. Don't worry about it. So I walk into this guy's office. I'm standing there, you know, body language, very aggressive towards him. And he's, you know, kind of hiding behind his computer. And I said, we need to talk. And he said, well, I have a meeting in one minute. I said, I'll wait. And I stood there. And he was like, oh, my gosh, OK, I'll cancel my meeting. So he canceled his meeting. And then he's like, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, I'm taking this project manager off of the project. And he said, OK. So then he thinks that it's because the project's bad. So then he kind of backpedals. And he's like, these are all the things. And I say, no, no, I'm taking her off the project because of the dynamic with you. And the dude sits down in his chair. He starts sweating. He's red. He, he, like, he didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to handle it. I think it was, like, me coming, you know, toe-to-toe with him, essentially. Right. And he, I thought he was going to get mad and be like, F you, get out of here. We're never hiring y'all again. And he was like, oh, my gosh. I respect you for doing this. You're a good manager. He, it was, like, the opposite reaction I thought that he was going to have. He was very understanding, and it was wild. What? And even since that, so I've been working with him, you know, to wrap up the project, to do the punch list items, the budget and everything. So did you hop on the project? Oh, yeah. After okay. ha- hopped on the project. I've been there every day. And he is like, can I give you swag? I want you to wear our clothes. Like, <laughs> it's like the to- total opposite that I, that I thought was going to happen. I totally thought he was going to cuss me out and say, get out of here. But, that is so interesting. Yeah, then, I wouldn't expect okay, that reaction I, in that situation. Yeah, I'm going to need that guy's contact information. <laughs> really, because I appreciate that you've been able to update that story after our project. <laughs> it was not Jeff. It was not Jeff. It, Disclaimer. It, it was it was much worse than that situation. But it was it was not good. But we've come out of it and now he he doesn't come and check on the project he he honestly he's like i've kind of like flown away because i trust that it's going to get done and you're going to handle it but also what also happened from it is the project manager has respect for me so the client which is project manager report so my employee is respecting me more the client's respecting me more and that's a situation that i think would be fine for a man to do like you would probably i'm looking at jeff right now (laughs) jeff would probably be fine going to somebody and saying something like that. Whereas for a woman, you know, I'm like sweating, walking into it, having to make sure my body language is on point and every word that I say is on point. Whereas a man might not have to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I do that every day. So I mean, <laughs> I don't think that has to do with me being a man. It's That's mostly true. the people thinking I'm the, that I'm a jerk. But yeah. Who says you're not? Not a jerk? <laughs> no, just kidding. No, I'm not, yeah. I would say that I am, I am direct and have a level of candor that people are typically un, uncomfortable with. Um, but you don't, you know, never abusive to people. Sometimes yeah. telling people yeah. the truth, you know, can feel a little abusive, though. Right. right. But 
but cussing somebody out and telling yeah, them that the, you want them to be inconvenienced as much as your inconvenience that's a little no, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's no. another level of flow no, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not calling that guy to get drinks you know and get to get leadership advice but you know i'm, I'm i am glad that you updated the story because i i think probably about <laughs> six months ago she was like let me tell you this story about this guy no no, no i was the one that was having to manage that <laughs> <laughs> yeah Build out of the Nashville office. Good times. Um, it looks great, though. It does. Look it does great. look really yeah, good. I have an cool. awesome office. We do. Um, so, Elizabeth, I know you did a little drop in there about you have kids. You're obviously uh, yes. a mom. Yes. Um, a very successful businesswoman. You also hey, just, Nashville forty under forty. Yeah, just won yeah. Nashville's forty and forty. Congratulations Thank on that. Thank you. Yeah. So when obviously you have a very successful life, looking at it from outside in, obviously. But when when did that success begin for you? Can you pinpoint a time, or is it just collaborative? Over, over all the years and the effort you put in? It's collaborative. I will say there are moments where it's jumped. Yep. So I've always worked hard and done good, well in school, you know, won awards in college, got scholarships, and then was successful in business. It jumped when I went into the construction industry and then switched from construction to CBRE. Because then once I was in CBRE, I managed a group of about four or five people, and then I started getting more groups. So the way that we're broken up is is in kind of territories and then project types. And so that was pretty organic, but it was definitely that moment. And I will say that wasn't just me. So we've talked a little bit about Jeff supporting, you know, females. There are men that along the way have always lifted me up. So it's almost like you have to have a tribe of women that are saying, you know, go girl, we support you. We think that you're doing awesome. But I have had, I can think of three in particular that have been above and said, no, you are important and you're coming with me and almost like lifting me up. And one of them is my boss at CB who I thought I was interviewing for a senior project manager job. And he said, no, no, you're hiring for the director job. And I think you can do it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have you here if I didn't think that you could do it. So it was almost like him believing that I could do it made me believe that I could do it. And then so I took the job. And that, that was probably the biggest shift because I became an owner as opposed to a provider. Yeah, when I realized um, in my own careers, I would do things basically because I make ridiculous claims and then I feel obligated to follow through on them. <laughs> yeah, it, and uh, as I moved in different levels of leadership, I realized that not everybody's like that, right? Um, and it's not it's not just a you know a, a gender thing, you know, male mm-hmm. versus female, but it is diff- There is a significant difference. I'm, I'm sure there's studies out there that you know men will apply for a job when they're 60 percent qualified, and women mm-hmm. want to be 110 percent qualified. And Carmen Dag was sweating bullets about hosting the podcast, and she's been <laughs> she's been doing great. Um, but I've, I've always personally taken that and said, not everybody's going to make these ridiculous claims. Um, but we need the people who have the potential, you know, to be put in a position where they have to grow into it. So, mm-hmm. you know, my approach with across the board is, you know, if you're a hundred percent sure you can do this job, then you're in the wrong job. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have to be constantly striving for something or else what's the point? And that's not really life. I actually remember that when I interviewed with you, Jeff, you offered me 
the job after I'd obviously gone through several other interviews, but I met you in person. You offered me the job. And I'm pretty sure my response was, are you sure? I don't think I'm qualified for this. And I remember you said, you said, you have all the things that I can't teach you. I can teach you everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's definitely kind of what you're saying about your boss. I definitely got that from him. Um, So this podcast is about knowing yourself. Elizabeth, do you have any advice for people on really how to get you know, down and dirty with yourself. How do you get mm-hmm. to know who you are to be the best person that you can in order for you to be successful? Mm-hmm. So I had a little bit of a, a self-discovery after I had my second child. So my life was very by the book in terms of growing up in the suburbs of Nashville, going to school, you know, white collar family, all the things. <laughs> and Uh, Got married very young, had two kids. I had a goal in terms of how much I wanted to make and certain things that I wanted to achieve, awards that I wanted to have, and I had them all done by 30. And I, you know, had my second child. I was only going to have two kids. And so I was like, well, what do I do now? I have potentially 60 years left. Like, what am I going (laughs) to do? I've done everything everything that I wanted to do. And then I was like, who am I? You know, what What do I share with the world? And because then that's what it is. You know, I want to be the best person that I can be for my kids in particular, for my two boys. And so this was right before COVID happens, of course. It was like the January, February before COVID happens. And I that's when I started my self-discovery, which was a terrible time to do that. <laughs> uh, and it was very much like I enjoy exercising, but not I'm not the crazy person that's like at the gym all the time for a long, long time. I'm the one that's in the pool doing old lady water aerobics or just like chilling on the treadmill watching reels. I fully support that. Yes. And I like yoga and I like meditating and doing somewhat spiritual things, I guess, um, and reading and just making sure that I have time to do that self-discovery. And I'm also creative. I've always been, you know, the art kid. I always did sports, but I was not good. I just did it because I liked being around people. And I made two goals. I said, I want my goal in life corporately to meet at least 100 people a week and 10 of them to be 100 new people, people a week meet new people yeah so meet 100 people meet with 100 people that's have you easy. succeeded in that kind of covid obviously right. that was not good but and then meet <laughs> meet 10 new people so i can meet new clients all the time so it's not it's actually not that hard for me to do it but in that i've discovered well i want to have meaningful conversations so it's not just i want to meet a bunch of people i want to have the meaningful conversations not high level you know at the soccer field with the other moms. Like, I want to have, like, deep conversations. And once I find the people that I can have those conversations with, I'm like, let's keep having these conversations, (laughs) like the two of you. Um, And then the other part of it was finding my joy. So there's always been this part of me that's just, like, extra joyful, even as a kid. You know, like, I was the kid that didn't really care about what other people thought of her. And almost to the point where people were probably like, she's not smart because she's so, like, happy all the time. So it's finding my joy, being in my joy, living in my joy, but then also energetically bumping into other people to spread the joy. So when people leave being around me, I want them to feel the joy as they go out into the world. So those are my two I love that. revelations from a couple of years ago. And that's really how I've been trying to live. So it's, it's kind of like taking time for myself, going on trips with my friends and being around my kids to make sure that they see that. So, you know, balancing work and life. So I'm I'm at work and I'm working really hard. 
And then when I'm with my kids, I'm fully present. You know, my cell phone's down. I'm not looking at my cell phone and really playing with them. You know, like we're doing Legos and magnet tiles and or cars or whatever. The yeah, boys magnet do. tiles. I think so fun. Um, I mean, my my son Jake turns five today. Happy birthday! And my whole experience with you know, Jake and Alex's um, Jake builds these like magnificent magnet tile structures, and then Alex, my two year old, comes up and just soccer kicks it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and then I have to deal with the five year old not wanting to beat up the two year old. It, it's funny that uh, you kind of started finding yourself at the end of what your life goals were. Right. I mean, I I had a similar experience, and I was you know my life goals were like ridiculously unattainable. And then I was twenty one, the youngest person ever hired, and like America's most elite special operations unit. That's exactly what I wanted to do. And people are like, you can't do that. It's not going to happen. Yeah, and I'm and I'm standing there, like, all right, I'm here now. What? Mm-hmm. And then I had like this, you know, I was, you know, I guess 26, and I, you know, was now in this process of being medically retired, and it's like I had achieved everything I wanted to, and now that thing that I achieved, I can't do anymore. Yeah. Now that really required, you know, some time of self discovery and figuring out what I, you know, wanted to do and where I wanted to be. And that's kind of how I ended up here. All of that experience informs the type of organization I want to build, you know, who I want to do things with, what the focus needs to be. Really came down to, you know, I wanted to do cool stuff that made an impact with people that I liked. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm massively fortunate that I had that kind of achieving of all of the goals and then having that ripped away from me. Because if it wasn't for that, I would, I would probably be, you know, a crusty old sergeant major at this point, if I ma- managed to make it through all the combat, yeah. yeah, which isn't a bad thing to be necessarily. Um, but it's, it's definitely a path that I'm, you know, I'm thankful in retrospect that I found my way to being here today, you know, in the studio with people like you, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, and talking to a larger audience of people that, you know, struggle on a day to day. And need to find their their way and who and who they are uh, in order to take the next steps. Mm-hmm. The one thing you said though, I have to key on. So if you go around and you act happy, then you know, people think that you're not smart. Mm-hmm. People must think I'm really really smart. <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> That's true. Well, you also are really smart. So you are. You are smart. Yeah. But I definitely don't go around spreading joy. Mostly, I'm more like my two-year-old going around kicking magnetiles over. Which is okay too. You be who you are. Yeah, you got it. If you if you can't build it again, right? What's right. the point? I will add. It seems like when people do go through the self-discovery, the things that they realize about themselves are the odd things. So, me being creative or me meditating, those are kind of things that people generally like don't talk about. You know, yeah. and. Or, or people that like to work on cars or paint. They're almost like these things that people do solo. But like, why, why don't we talk about them? Like, you're excited about it. You're passionate about it. I find joy in knowing what you're passionate about. So why don't we talk about that? I think it's also normalized being different and being who you are, right? We're trying to, most people are trying to fit into the society and what society tells you who you should be, how you should walk, how you should talk. What you yeah. should be interested in, right? It's but really... you should wear shoes, like <laughs> just generally. Shoes. She's in shoes. <laughs> I know I am in shoes. So I've had them on and off all day. <laughs> and but it is—it's just that concept of being able to be who you are and mm-hmm. discuss what fills you with joy, 
you know, what bothers you? You don't have to be a walking box of sunshine, <laughs> Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we Thankfully. relate great to each other, right? Yeah. You know? It like, works out. It works out fantastically. It does. And I'm like a black hole and just sucks in light. <laughs> sucks in the light. <laughs> yeah. Won't let any escape. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, this was fun. Um, do you guys have anything else to add before we wrap it up? No, I appreciate you taking your time, uh, your busy schedule, you know, and berating CEOs for <laughs> you know their behavior with your project managers. Um, and it was uh, it was a pleasure. Hopefully, we'll have you back on for yes. too long. Yes. Yeah, Sounds talk great. more. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Cheers, everyone. Thank you. Cheers.